Busy Birds. Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Ganal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Did you know that 70% of the world's cacao is grown in Africa, but less than 1% of the world's chocolate is produced there? Our guest today is the founder and CEO of Beyond Good, a company that makes heirloom chocolate from the Earth's original variety of cacao and has sustainability and helping people at the core of its business. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Tim McCollum. Thank you. It's great to be here, Mariska. You are most welcome. And we're definitely going to talk about one of my favorite topics today or favorite stuff in the whole wide world, and that is chocolate. Um, But Tim, how did your sustainable journey actually start? Very roundabout sort of way. So I actually started as a Peace Corps volunteer in Madagascar, Peace Corps being a volunteer program sponsored by the U.S. State Department, um, where they'll send usually young, but people of all age, actually, Americans to go live in very rural, very poor countries around the world and volunteer for two years. So I lived and worked in Madagascar from 1999 to 2001. And that was really the first step in in what's developed into a bit of a journey. So you are currently the CEO of a company called Beyond Good. And about a year ago, you guys changed your name to Beyond Good. What was the message that the name is currently representing? And why was that important to you? Well, yes, we, we changed our name about a year ago. Beyond Good gives us a a better platform to articulate what our business is about. And it really is on two different levels. So the first one being flavor. The cocoa we use is classified as heirloom, which means it's the oldest original variety of cocoa on earth. And it has much more flavor than your average commodity type of cocoa. So Beyond Good enables us through our brand name to articulate that it's better than just your average chocolate. The other piece to that has to do with our mission and our backstory, where we've developed a new business model for the chocolate industry, which is much different than how the traditional chocolate industry works, where we're actually manufacturing or making chocolate on the ground where the cocoa grows. And in our case, that's Madagascar. So again, it's kind of a double meaning, but beyond good in terms of flavor, also beyond good in terms of social impact which spans from delivering better economics to farmers to also getting much more involved in things like biodiversity and conserving the environment. Yeah, because when we just look like at cacao farmers, they typically would earn something like less than $1 per day. So what would you say has really been the impact that Beyond Good has had so far on the local farmers? It's a good question. Also, it's a good starting point in terms of context so that the dollar day figure is right. Sometimes it's actually less. And there's 
the problems magnified by the number of cocoa farmers. So there's about three or four million cocoa farmers who are living on on that type of income. In our case, we've been able to deliver closer to four dollars a day. So on average, about three eighty four. And you can measure farmer income a lot of different ways, but anyway, we measure it. It comes out to about five or six times what the industry standard is. And the reason we're able to do that is a typical cocoa supply chain, there's five or six middlemen that sit between cocoa farmer and the factory that's making chocolate. And in our case, there are zero middlemen. So we eliminate a lot of that waste in the supply chain and direct a lot of that savings into the farmer's pocket so that you know they can live a much better, more sustainable lifestyle. I mean, you guys are working in Madagascar at the moment. A shocking fact that I started with was that, you know, about 70% of the world's cacao is grown in Africa, but less than 1% of the world chocolate is actually produced there. So like you've said, you know, it's all of those little middlemen in between that takes a big chunk of the money. So we are paying top dollar for this chocolate, but you know the farmer that's actually put all the work in to produce this is getting a fraction, you know? It's really had an impact on, on the farmers globally. And in some cases, some of these farmers are switching to another crop that they can actually get more money from. Or, you know, it's it's just had such different effects everywhere. But what are what are some of these issues that's affecting the global chocolate industry that you guys are currently trying to address and to tackle? as well. So, the, I mean, the first one is, is farmer poverty. That's how we started, you know, being a Peace Corps volunteer and being on the ground and living at the level of, you know, a rural farmer, you're really able to see things from a different perspective. So that was our starting point was, you know, is this going to work for the farmer? So we always wanted to build a business that really changed the game for the way a cocoa farmer lives. So that's, the, that's really the, the first and foremost. And, and you start with income doesn't matter if you're living in poverty in Australia or the U.S. or Europe or Africa. The only thing that's really going to get you out of that situation is a job. And then number two is, is the hope or expectation that if you do that job well, you'll get a better job or make more money. So we, we've always started with that. The other things that we addressed through the model, which were somewhat unintentional, meaning we didn't realize this would be the impact of manufacturing at origin, but remembering that typical supply chain where there's five or six intermediaries between the farmer and the chocolate maker, the farmer's very disconnected from chocolate. They don't really know what chocolate is. They don't eat it. They've never seen a chocolate factory. And because our factory is in close proximity to the farmers, we're able to do things like bring farmers into the factory so they can start to see what happens to the cocoa after they've harvested and, and sold it to us. And it just gets them more involved in the industry in a way that typically they're not. They're cut off. They frankly don't care about what happens because they don't know who's buying the beans at the other end of the supply chain. So yeah, to your point, if another crop is available that makes more money, they're going to switch pretty quickly. Whereas in our case, because they're involved in the full chain, we've been working with some of these these farmers for seven or 10 years. They're more of cocoa entrepreneurs at this point than they are farmers, and they're very committed to it. And when you're obviously committed to your work, you, know, you take a lot of 
a lot more pride and interest in it. So those are all things that are harder to measure. Like you can measure income very easily, but measuring things like commitment, energy, motivation, those things are harder to measure, but very much alive in our, our supply chain. The other thing is, um, you know, and I think why it's so important for your audience, we've started to tackle deforestation. So if you think of these two issues, one is farmer poverty and it's endemic permanent poverty. And the other is traceability. You know, most people using cocoa beans to make chocolate in the global north aren't able to trace cocoa back to the farmer. So again, it's like traceability, farmer poverty. Multiply those two things together and you get a whole host of other issues happening on the ground, which are usually negative. And one of those is deforestation, particularly in, in West Africa, where national parks and forests are being destroyed to plant cocoa. What we've been able to do in Madagascar is actually reverse that trend where, you know, Madagascar is very unique in terms of its biodiversity, but we've seen farmers reforest areas that had been deforested probably 100, 200 years ago. It's one of the only areas in Madagascar where there's more trees and forest cover in place now than there were 10 years ago. And a lot of that's through cocoa farming, but doing it the right way in terms of encouraging biodiversity, shade trees, and and basically rebuilding forests where there once was, but there hasn't been for a long time. Wow, that's such an interesting way of doing it. And as the demand probably increase for chocolate, I'm sure, you know, we, we're going to be seeing more and more cacao trees being planted, but that's so important to keep that biodiversity and to make sure that, you know, we just don't go and clear out pieces of land just to plant these cacao trees. That's amazing to know that you guys are on top of that and actually helping these guys to to sustain a lifestyle for themselves, but also to sustain a future for the cacao industry as well. Yeah. It's important too that you address these issues in in certain order. The reason we're able to be so effective with reforestation is because we've already solved poverty for the farmer. So now that the farmer is out of day-to-day subsistence living, they're able to think long-term, they're able to do things like invest in trees, plant more trees, grow their cocoa farming business. They're not able to do that though if they're living in you know, um, severe poverty. So I think it's important that you get the order right And then once you solve the poverty issue, it opens the door for really tackling the environmental issue. You've mentioned also getting these farmers involved in showing them what happens to these cacao beans in the factory and how it comes out as this amazing chocolate bar. So what is the process? If you can give our crazy birds a quick guideline or, you know, what happens from bean to bar? I'm going to try and simplify that because there's a lot of different ways to do it. You could do it on four or five steps or you could do it on 15, but it helps. if I'll start with the bean. So imagine a cocoa bean. First step you have to do is roast and that brings out the flavor and it also dries out the humidity from the bean. And that's what like in the roasting process, there's a lot of nice aromas that come out. And that's when if you're in a chocolate factory and it smells like chocolate's being made, it's the roasting phase that's giving off that very pleasant aroma. Next step is you have to remove a shell from the bean. Next step is 
you have to crush and grind the bean over a long period of time as you're adding a little bit of heat to it into a bit of a pulp. So you start to break it down from solid into liquid. Sometimes that can take, depending on what equipment you're using, a couple of hours, sometimes a couple of days. And then it, you have a, a liquid form, and then it's a matter of, of tempering, and then de depositing, which is like basically dropping liquid chocolate into uh, a tray, and then cooling. So you, a lot of it's temperature related. So bringing temperature up and down, up and down, up and down to get it back to solid. And then you know, last step, one of the last steps is there's a pretty long conveyor belt that's bringing out chocolate bars through a, a cooling tunnel, which gets it back to room temperature and then into a final wrapper. That whole process can take a couple of days or shorter, depending on what type of equipment you're using. So am I correct in saying that those beautiful chocolate bars is actually a fruit that we can eat more fruit? <laughs> you can definitely say <laughs> it's derived from a fruit and the majority of the chocolate is a fruit, but there, there are other added ingredients like uh, sugar. But yeah, it's, it's a plant-based product or a fruit-based product for sure. I'm going to go with that the next time I need to eat some fruit on a diet. I definitely think <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> so where is the majority of your uh, cacao beans actually farmed at the moment and then manufactured as well? Yeah, so at the moment, all of our cocoa beans are being farmed in Madagascar in the northwest coast. And about 50% of those are processed or manufactured locally in Madagascar at our factory. And then 50% are processed at a factory in Italy that we work with. And it's important for us to have two different locations just for diversity and, and risk planning. We're also excited because we've been working in Madagascar on this business for 10 or 11 years. Um, we think we've, well, we know we've built something that very few businesses have been able to build in terms of a, uh, an integrated supply chain all in one country where you're making finished product. And we want to try to do this in another country. Our next project is Uganda, which we're launching it um, very shortly, new Uganda SKUs to market. And the idea is, is very similar to what we've done in Madagascar, which is um, over time, you want to build a, an entirely new supply chain in Uganda including a, a chocolate factory. And right now in Uganda, there are not any, a lot of cocoa, but not, a, not any medium or large chocolate factories. Very excited about that. It's a good opportunity for us to test out, you know, our model in a different environment. Wow, that sounds great. And I mean, you guys have just recently celebrated your first anniversary for Beyond Good a million chocolate bars as well. And you've got one of Africa's most modern chocolate factories. So other than Uganda, what else is, is happening for you guys? So that's quite a big project on its own. No, that's, that is our big initiative on our supply chain coming up. And yeah, in the case of Madagascar, we're very happy with what we've been able to do. But we're also the type of people who are never quite totally satisfied. So we have a lot of growth yet to do in that country in terms of adding more farmers into the network, adding more capacity at the factory. There's always improvements to make. So that work continues and grows. And then, yes, 
uh, Uganda's the new thing for us this year, and that's probably going to be a two-year project. And then after that, we've already got thoughts, but focused in the meantime on just those two countries. Oh, wow. Well, I'm sure we are all going to be very anxiously waiting for some chocolate. But before we go into any more questions, I wanted to do like kind of a little trivia for our crazy birds, because when we look at like a hundred gram chocolate bar, I don't think a lot of people realize how many cacao beans it actually takes to make one bar of chocolate. So if you would be so kind to actually tell us a little bit more, how many, how many cacao beans are we eating when we're helping ourselves to a bar of chocolate? <laughs> I love the question. I, I have to answer it in very broad strokes, but you could say roughly because it depends on how much, you know, the cocoa percentage of the bar but roughly, you could say there's about 30 beans in a in a bar of chocolate. And roughly, you could say there's about 30 beans inside a cocoa pod. The pod is, is the first, you know, that's the fruit that you actually harvest, the beans being inside of the pod. But yeah, roughly it'd be 30 beans or one, one pod of cocoa. Oh, wow. That's quite a lot. I would love to know if some of our crazy birds actually guessed that right. <laughs> so guys, <laughs> please leave some comments. So you have got some really great flavors that your chocolate comes in. Would you mind sharing a little bit for our crazy birds as well? Sure. So in our Madagascar lineup, we have um, three plain dark bars with different degrees of cocoa. And roughly what you could say is, the higher the cocoa percentage, the less the amount of sugar, the more health benefits you get from eating it because cocoa is very high in antioxidants. And then we also have three other products. One has coconut in it, one has sea salt, one has almonds in it. So we're working with very common inclusions that you'd find in chocolate, all within our Madagascar range. And then we're working on a new product with Madagascar that will have chili pepper in it as as the flavor. And then on the Uganda side, we're we're launching three items: one with uh, crispy rice, one with orange orange peel, and then another one with caramel. Kind of a mix of of new and tried and true different flavor combinations that people would expect to find in chocolate. Oh, wow. They all sound fantastic. And I'm definitely going to try out some. And I also see that you guys do some vanilla bean and vanilla bean extract. Yes. <laughs> we actually started as a vanilla company. Oh, really? Yeah. So vanilla is the cocoa in Madagascar is quite unique in terms of its heritage and flavor. And, you know, I, I think if you were to ask 100 chocolate makers, which origin has the most flavorful beans, probably 95 would tell you Madagascar. But it doesn't produce a lot of cocoa, whereas on the vanilla side, it, it produces about 70% of the world's vanilla. You know, most people, if they know anything about vanilla, they know it comes from Madagascar. Or if they know anything about Madagascar, they know that's where vanilla comes from. So we, that's how we started, and we, we do vanilla extract and vanilla beans. Oh, wow. And so the vanilla, so just to give all of our crazy birds a clearer view, that's actually, you get the pods and that comes like almost from an orchid plant or am I totally missing it? No, you're, you totally hit the nail on the head. So it's, it is an orchid. It's one of the only edible orchids or one of the only orchids that produces a fruit 
again, vanilla is technically a fruit. And then that goes through a long harvesting curing cycle until it ultimately is dried out. And when it's dried out, it actually looks like a long piece of, of licorice. Um, and you can't eat it, but it's very easy to slice open and then scrape out the interior seeds. And that's where like this tremendous natural vanilla flavor comes from. To anyone who isn't very familiar with vanilla or natural vanilla, I'd always encourage them just to do a, a couple of very simple kitchen uses like making vanilla sugar you can do in your house very easily. And it gets you acquainted with how to, how to use a vanilla bean. And then from there, you can explore a lot of other uses on your own. It's, it's like a, it's, once you learn how to cook or how to use natural vanilla, it's, you know, most, most people don't like to go back to extract just because, you know, you're working with a natural product versus something that's been processed. Wow, that sounds fantastic. And I would love to actually grow one day my own little vanilla orchid. I am such a fan of orchids. So yeah, ever since I discovered that, I've been dying to actually get one. But yeah, I haven't found one yet. So hopefully in the next few few months, I'd be able to get one. It's just fantastic. Like I always kind of think about, you know, people mostly either like more like vanilla chocolates or like white chocolates or like, you know, chocolate, chocolate. So I think Madagascar is quite a great spot because you've got the best of both worlds there. Yes. Very rare in that. And also in terms of the environment and biodiversity, it's ex exceptionally rare. It's just a, a very unique country. And I think most people have heard of it. Fewer know where it is on a map, but almost everyone has a bit of a positive association with the country in terms of, you know, its biodiversity and lemurs and it being this very remote, exotic type of place. And it certainly lives up to that imagination that people have. Well, it's definitely high on my list to visit. So hopefully one day. But the, another thing also about your chocolates, are any of your chocolates actually suitable for vegans? They are. In fact, all of them are. And especially so because, well, obviously there's no dairy in it, but our Madagascar bars are made in a factory that is dairy free. So there's oh. no milk inside of the factory. But yes, absolutely. I'm glad you asked that. We don't put that front and center on the label, but they are vegan. Cool. And what is your most popular chocolate bar? Probably are 92%. And that is, it hits a specific, you know, need state for people who are, who want to indulge in dark chocolate, but they don't want all the sugar that's typically associated with chocolate. So that is easily our bestseller in the, in the U S. And then I think on our team, we have a, a different favorite or everyone has a different favorite, but they're all, they're all good. They're all, you know, technically beyond good. I also encourage people to try a couple and then ultimately settle on a couple that you like. Oh, awesome. And something that I think everyone has been dying to know since we started talking about chocolate is where can people find this chocolate? Yeah, so we sell it on our website. And then in the U.S., it's available in most grocery stores or, you know, natural specialty food stores, including retailers like Whole Foods Market a bunch of other regional stores, but it's in about five or 6,000 stores around the country. Wow. Okay. And are we getting it in other countries as well or only in the U.S. for now? Mainly in the U.S. for now, but, you know, we would love to to build 
more international distribution when the time is right. But you know, for the for the time being, we're really focused on on the U.S. Awesome. So people can get chocolate that's actually beyond good. And it's also beyond good in helping to create a more sustainable future for cacao farmers and also for the cacao industry. So really excited about that. Thank you so much for all the work that you guys are doing with that. It's our pleasure. And it's obviously not possible without people who are out there buying and supporting the brand. So it's really a a partnership. What has been one of your most important decisions that you've made around Mama Earth? On a personal level, you know, I'd say it wouldn't be a decision. It's just something that happened. But I was really raised, my mother was a gardener. So I, I was raised gardening with her. That had a deep influence on me. Um, and I'd say anyone who, you know, knows how to basically get food out of the soil has a has a predisposition to want to protect the planet, at least values it in a certain way. So not necessarily a decision, but something that was very influential for me. Definitely. I mean, once you start growing that first plant, just seeing how, you know, it actually grows, it's it's just phenomenal. I mean, I we've just recent like earlier on spoke a little bit about that before the interview of my my gardening that started. And it's it's really amazing. And I urge everyone to just try and see if you can grow something in like on a balcony, even if it's in a pot plant, you know, doesn't have to have a fancy garden to start. Just start with something small and see how it goes. You can, you can do a lot with a pot or a planter and a little bit of sun. And yeah, I think that's a great point. I actually live in New York city and a decent amount of stuff on a balcony for several years. So it's definitely actually in some ways easier to start because the soil is controlled and there are less variables than if you're growing in a larger garden. And now we are going to move into our final five. So the first one is, what is one social media account or publication that you follow? I feel like it's a very easy one for me, which is National Geographic. I've either subscribed to or read that magazine for 20 years And I think they've got the best Instagram site on the planet. Wow. Yeah. Love them too. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? I would say, you know, as human race evolves and we've developed into a larger society, a more complex society, we've created a lot of innovation along the way. And some of that has actually hurt the planet. But my hope would be that we use that same inborn innovation that's inside of humanity to fix the planet that that same capacity to create is ever evolving and and ultimately will be used to save the planet and undo some of the harm that we've done definitely couldn't agree with you more on that one and what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out mama earth i really think the best thing people can do is spend time outside spend time in nature. That's what fosters the motivation, the commitment to the planet. Take a walk, look at a tree and stare at it for 30 seconds. Because the more appreciation that is in each of you for the planet, the more that comes out in others that you might be able to influence. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? 
That's a great one. I just always encourage people. It's kind of like the last last question is, it's less of a fact, but you don't need to be an activist or an environmentalist to do the right thing for the planet or to start the journey. And I, I go back to saying, I think that starts with spending time outside in open spaces. Even if you're in a city, find an open space, find a, a place along a river where you can walk and look up at the sky. And that that will lead to greater things, both within yourself and then in terms of spreading the appreciation of the planet to others. Awesome. And where can people actually find you? Me or our, our brand? I think both. <laughs> <laughs> I'm easy. You could just send me an email, tim at beyondgood.com. Visit our website. And then our, our brand, as I said, is in the uh, mainly distributed in the U.S. And even on our website, we have a store locator, which you can find you know, which stores in your area are going to be carrying our products. Awesome. So if people want Beyond Good chocolate, they can definitely connect with you guys for some great chocolate. I'm looking forward to actually tasting some of your chocolate in the future. Yeah, thank you so much for all the amazing work that you guys are doing. I can't wait to see how things are going to go in Uganda. And hopefully, maybe sometime even visit your factory in Madagascar. It would be our great pleasure. Uh, the door is open, so... Let us know when you'd like to make that happen and and we'll make it happen on our end. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap. Huge thank you for our amazing guest for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us. You can find the show notes of this episode on the mamaearthtalk.com's website. The biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast. If you have not already listened to all of the episodes... You can go back to a few of them. You will absolutely love them. I really enjoyed recording every single one of them. And I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes. So if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next, maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes, why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them? Let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms and they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best place would probably be a DM on Instagram at Design by Mariska or pop me an email at hello at mamaearthtalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every second Monday, so make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.